The Lord is with you. Lift up your hearts. Grace and peace to you on behalf of Dean Robert Allen Hill and the Marsh Chapel community, as we are a gathered congregation, present at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, present in New England through National Public Radio, WBUR 90.9 FM, present through the webcast live at WBUR.org, and present through the podcast at bu.edu chapel. Dean Hill sends his particular regards as he is away, and we look forward to his return to us next week. I am Victoria Hart Gaskell, an elder in the New England Conference of the United Methodist Church, chapel associate for Methodist students here at Marsh, and the preacher of the day. Joining me in reading the service this morning are John Pedican, with Brother Larry Whitney as the cantor for the psalm. Brother Larry will also offer the prayers of the people on our behalf. Our musicians this morning are members and friends of the Marsh Chapel Choir, with our own Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett as choir director and organist. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your selection of personal forms of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. So now, beloved, rise up, now and at this invitation throughout the service, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, in the praise and worship of God.
Let us pray. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be a, sac a sacrifice for sin and also an example of godly life. Give us grace to receive thankfully the fruits of this redeeming work and to follow daily in the blessed steps of his most holy life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. During the singing of the Kyrie, we are invited to a time of acknowledgement and confession of those things which separate us from our love of God, from our love of self, and from our love of neighbor. Beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 23 through 29. Am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long? Will the hearts of the prophets ever turn back those who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart. They plan to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, just as their ancestors forgot my name at Verbal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let the one who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like fire, says the Lord? and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? The word of the Lord. 
Let us say together verses from Psalm 82 with the Antiphon. has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I say, you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Rise up, O God, judge the earth for all the nations belong to you. stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. Glory to you, O Lord. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? 
No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. <clears throat> Please be seated. Not exactly gentle Jesus, meek and mild here, is he? If he ever was. Jesus has no illusions about the controversy inherent in his mission, and he does not want his disciples to have any illusions either. He comes to bring fire, a sign of judgment. Here on the road to Jerusalem, he is already at odds with the religious authorities. He speaks about the baptism of his death, the likely consequence of his preaching and teaching. He speaks of the stress he feels until his work is done. Jesus is not a false prophet like those described by Jeremiah. He does not speak dreams or lies or deceit. As one who has the word of God, he speaks it faithfully. And God's word is like fire, like a hammer breaking rock. As in the psalm, such a word as judgment brings justice to the poor and vulnerable, rights to the lower classes, and deliverance to the oppressed. Conflict is inevitable. For the crowds, conflict is inherent in their own hypocrisy. The interpretation of the present time is as obvious as the weather signs that everyone knows but the crowds persist in denial and take refuge in ignorance. For the disciples, the ones closest to Jesus, the ones who say they are serious about following Jesus' path with him, there is no such escape. Conflict is inevitable, and it will not just be the relatively easy and expected conflict with strangers or authority figures. To choose to follow Jesus, to accept the controversy of his teaching and preaching, is to bring conflict into one's very household, conflict with one's nearest and dearest. Now, this idea may not have come as as big a shock as we might think to the disciples. The men are at least all of breadwinning age. They are culturally and religiously supposed 
to marry, settle down, have children, enter the family business, or do even better. The women have even more cultural and religious expectations for their behavior than the men. They are to move from father's house to husband's house to son's house, and the welfare of the family is their only concern. <clears throat> Yet here they all are, women and men, gallivanting around the countryside with some itinerant preacher, the men walking away from their families and leaving their businesses, the women walking away from their families and using their resources to support themselves and this very motley crew, all of them calling scandal and attention to themselves in their involvement with miracles, the preaching of the good news of the kingdom of God, whatever that is, and getting into trouble with the arbiters of the faith. We can only imagine the letters from home. But truth to tell, the idea of inevitable conflict, even within our families, does not come as such a great shock to us either. We can relate. My friend Lucy's mother did not speak to her for two solid days when Lucy revealed that she was not going to vote for Richard Nixon, the Republican candidate, as her family had always voted for the Republican candidate, Instead, Lucy was going to vote for a Roman Catholic, Irish, Democrat named John F. Kennedy. Lucy's mother did finally end up talking to her, but she held a grudge for years. Many of us know active pacifists' families whose children joined the military, and families with generations of military academy graduates whose children join peace movements. There is nothing more disconcerting to we as children to learn that mom and dad have either spent the bulk of the family fortune on various causes or have left the bulk of the family fortune to the whales or the trees. And in academic circles, the first Thanksgiving break is almost a cliche. The newly convinced vegetarian or carnivore goes home to be confronted with the sacred foods of the family Thanksgiving feast. The newly convicted free market capitalist or fair trade organizer goes home to undergo the opinions of their direct opposite in Aunt Sally or Uncle Joe. Upon return to the dorm, the pictures of the high school sweetheart are taken down and put away or sometimes even thrown out. For the folks in Jesus' time, and for us in ours, conviction of whatever sort invariably leads to conflict. How much more so for disciples of Jesus, then and now, who are called to follow a path that has controversy built into it, a path that confronts not just systemic justice, injustice and oppression, but the shadowy recesses of the human heart and its complicated relationships. Someone once said that human beings fear change more than death. And the path of Jesus is all about change. Change in the world as we resist those invested in fear, violence, power, and greed through our proclamation of the kingdom of God, 
and change within ourselves as our proclamation of the kingdom of God and our own formation into disciples of Jesus as we act out that kingdom go hand in hand. Many of us who undertake the process of discipleship can acknowledge the truth of Jesus' words. The most inevitable, the most painful conflict is indeed with those who love us, who want to protect us, and who cannot bear to see us change in their fear that they will be left behind or that they will have to change themselves. So if conflict is inevitable, how do we engage it with grace? While Jesus does say that conflict is inevitable, he does not say that we are to be belligerent, argumentative, hostile, or self-righteous. How then are we to engage others with grace in the very real issues of stewardship, justice, and peace that are part of our discipleship? How do we engage our family, as well as those we encounter in the wider world, with grace? Part of the answer lies with how we view conflict itself. If we see conflict as something to be avoided at all costs, as something that nice people or good Christians do not engage with, we will be in denial too of both the reality of our world and the inevitability of conflict in our lives as Jesus' followers. In fact, conflict does have its more positive side. Ron Craybill, in his book Peace Skills, Manual for Community Mediators, defines conflict as that which is the result of differences that produce tension. So conflict can be a valuable source of information to us about the state of our relationships on a personal or communal level. As such, it can be seen as something to be managed or resolved, but Craybill also asserts that conflict can also be seen as something to be transformed in a process that does not just end or prevent something, but also begins something new and good. This process of conflict transformation into something new and good has many entry points for grace. I would lift up three of them in particular for our consideration this morning. The first is picked conflicts. The hard-earned wisdom of our faith tradition, of our parents, of adult children, and mediators of every kind attest to the fact that not everything is a matter of life and death. Respect for one's other in conflict recognizes that their truths and convictions are held with just as much integrity and passion as one's own. And there is only so much energy, time, and resource to go around. So we have to decide What in our discipleship are we truly called to uphold in our proclamation and life? And where and with whom are we called to uphold it? What are the marks of the kingdom of God? 
and what is only culture and conditioning? Do we really need to engage in conflict over a particular issue, or can we just drop it? Agree to disagree. Focus instead on areas of common interest, or agree just not to engage that issue. As many of us have come to learn, progressives and conservatives, vegetarians and carnivores, Christians and atheists can live in the same house as long as there is a commitment to love one another and to serve the common good. Some of these shared interests can also involve issues important to disciples of Jesus. Again, my friend Lucy, a practicing Christian. With her son, who is an atheist, she shares a deep commitment to the welfare of disadvantaged children. There is indeed sometimes conflict between them due to certain decisions each makes out of his or her beliefs but their commitment to mutual respect for one another in love and the shared concern for children help them support one another in all their common concerns, even as they continue to find increased areas of agreement. This first entry point for grace of picked conflicts is closely related to the second entry point we have to decide how important it is for us to be right. Especially, we have to decide how important it is to be right in comparison with other values in our discipleship. If we insist on being right, we may indeed win on a particular issue, but we may cut off the possibility of further conversation or even break the relationship to the detriment of any future good. Instead of being right all the time, it may be that sometimes it is up to us to refuse to call it, to postpone or even give up our being right in order to keep the conversation going until the transformation of conflict for everyone is possible. Many of us remember during the Vietnam police action when so many fathers and sons were in such deep conflict over the question of military service that it was mother-wives, daughters-sisters who stood in the breach, who refused to take sides, although they certainly had their own opinions, who kept the lines of communication open between their loved ones until the wounds had had time to heal and the conflict could be transformed into deeper understanding and compassion on both sides. Jesus himself had strong words to say to those who were in conflict with him, even to his own family, and he certainly thought he was right on a great many things. But he was not afraid to change his mind, and he was not afraid to keep the conversation going. The third entry point for grace is the use of example rather than rhetoric. An odd thing to say for a preacher, but true nonetheless. 
If we are called to practice our discipleship in ways that conflict with family or other tradition, we may want to go the extra mile to make that practice more convenient for family or for others. To take on some of the research and action of shopping and cooking toward a more thoughtful and just use of resources. To begin to give a portion of our tithe of our own money to mutually important causes. To pare down our own excess consumption, perhaps in part through meaningful gifts to family members or just not to be so quick to argue or to critique. These examples go a long way to prove both our commitment to our discipleship as well as to open conversations about that commitment with those near to us who might otherwise be frightened or angry about our priorities. It is true that sometimes we do have to leave, that the situation is so intractable, so fraught, that for our own spiritual or physical safety and integrity, or that of others, we have to go. Or, while it does not seem likely for us in the United States at this present time, it may be that we, like many of our brothers and sisters around the world, are called to witness to the proclamation of God's kingdom to the extent of martyrdom. The word martyr means witness. And certainly the consequences of Jesus' witness to the good news of the kingdom of God led to his death. But there are also many kinds of witness that may feel like death in ourselves by what we are called to do to oppose or resist our family and friends for the sake of justice or peace or a different way of being in the world, it very often feels like something is dying inside us and our grief can be very real. Or it may be that our discipleship does call us from home for many years or away from cherished practices and beliefs. But even if the situation or other people involved are intractable and we do have to leave, we can still allow the possibility, the possibility of the conflict's transformation through the grace within us into the beginning of something new and good. Our attitude toward conflict is what in large measure determines if it transforms us or if we transform it. If we are aware of conflict's inevitability, especially if we can become aware of conflict early on, and if we see conflict as a source of information useful to us that can be transformed into something new and better, then we can see and open not just these three entry points for grace of picked conflicts, the decision about being right, and the use of example. We will be able to open many more entry points of grace into conflict as well. Conflict is inevitable, Jesus taught, 
even to conflict with our nearest and dearest. But as he also taught, our discipleship can also be a source of peace and transformation of conflict for ourselves and for those around us. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Please be seated. We come to the time in our service when we offer our prayers before the throne of grace. I invite you to assume an attitude of prayer according to your tradition, to stand, to kneel, to remain seated, or to come to the communion rail as we sing our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. Thanks be to you, O God, that we have risen this day to the rising of this life itself. May it be a day of blessing, O God, of every gift, a day of new beginnings given. Help us to avoid every sin and the source of every sin to forsake. And as the mist scatters from the crest of the hills, may each ill haze clear from our souls. O God. We join together in prayer. I will conclude each petition and invite you to respond. We pray to you, O God. That this and all our days may be full of your praise. We pray to you, O God. That you will keep us this day without sin. We pray to you, O God that we may walk before you in the paths of righteousness and peace. We pray to you, O God, that you will bless your people and lift them up forever. We pray to you, O God, that you will guide and protect us by your Holy Spirit and bring us with your saints to glory everlasting. We pray to you, O God. Let us commend ourselves and all for whom we pray to the mercy and protection of God this day. Eternal light, shine into our hearts. Eternal goodness, deliver us from evil. Eternal power, be our support. Eternal wisdom, scatter the darkness of our ignorance. Eternal pity, have mercy upon us, that with all our heart and mind, and soul and strength, we may seek your face and be brought by your infinite mercy to your holy presence. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. My name is Elizabeth Fonby Hall. I am the Director of Hospitality here at Marsh Chapel, and I want to give a warm welcome to all of you who have joined us physically here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. And I also want to welcome those who might be listening on the radio on WBUR 90.9 FM or to WBUR.org, or perhaps listening at a later date to the podcast. Welcome. The first thing I'd like to direct your attention to are the red pads that can be found um, at the end of the aisles towards the center aisle. If you would just take a few moments to fill those out for me um, so that we at Marsh can get to know you better and so that also you can get to know the names of those who are seated next to you. I'd also like to invite you to join us immediately following the worship service downstairs in the Marsh room for our weekly coffee hour Come for as long as you like for food and fellowship. I'd also like to invite you to keep an eye on Marsh Chapel's website, which is www.bu.edu slash chapel. I would keep an eye on it in the coming weeks as we gear up, <clears throat> excuse me, gear up for the coming of the school year. We're going to have a lot of new programming with the beginning of the academic year, so keep an eye on that. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Gracious and abundant God, out of your provision we give back these our gifts of money, the symbol of our time, our life energy, our resources, and our devotion. May we who give these gifts and those who receive them be strengthened in our lives of faith, that we may continue in peace and enjoy your work of love and justice in the world. In the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Now, beloved, let us go from this place in peace to open entry points for grace into the conflicts of our lives. In the name of the Blessed Trinity, one God in perfect community, who makes us, who loves us, who keeps us in everything. Amen. <laughs>